I'm Mark Maher. Why do you want to get baptized tonight? Uh, choosing to be baptized is a public declaration of my faith. I uh, wanted to share a verse that I think represents baptism to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. So today marks a new beginning, an opportunity to be used by God. <laughs> No fear, no anxiety, right? <laughs> Not through Christ. Um, use me, God. <laughs> For whatever you have in store, I want to know God deeper, to know His voice, and to uh, trust in His plan for my life. Um, I think through faith we are called to become more like Christ, to strive to be a blessing for others, to encourage others, to help others. I want to strive to be bold in my faith, despite any fears or anxieties. Pray that God you would help me to have a servant's heart, to keep it real simple, love God, love others. Help me to be thankful, grateful in all situations, even through tough times. Thankful to be baptized today in front, in front of family and friends. And, Blessed to be with my two children, Kat and Carrie, along with Luke and Ryan, who were blessed, uh, baptized before in Valerie. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. I made my face Thank Mark uh, for his testimony this morning. It's been so good to see those. And I smile every time I remember those testimonies and thank the Lord for those. And glad you're here this morning. Good morning. Turn to someone and say, You look good this morning. Do that, would you? You look good this morning. If they don't, that's okay. It's all right to tell that one. No, we're glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. Been on a journey over the last several weeks uh, called What's Missing? What's Missing? When you came through the doors today, you probably got a puzzle piece. Maybe you got several puzzle pieces. But simply as a reflection that as I, I think about my life, as I think about my walk with Christ, what what might be missing? We talked about prayer our first week together and, and how prayer is more than just simply a, an asking session, but it's a time of intimacy as we enter into the presence of the Lord and that really becomes the foundation. Everything we do as an individual and everything we do as a church and then from that is power, how God calls us to a life of power and that power evidenced through transformation in our life and the lives of others, even answered prayer, is not the exceptional Christian life. It is the normal Christian life, with, which is exceptional. I always say this isn't the extraordinary. It's the ordinary Christian life, but the ordinary Christian life is supposed to be extraordinary, and we ought to be seeing that not only in our lives, but in our church, and our church community as well. Then last week, we talked about passion and what, what oftentimes lacks passion, what, why our passion can wane, and how to kind of rekindle the flame that we have with the Lord. We asked 
asked a question at the end of the service last week that if the Lord were speaking to you, would you, would he, if he asked you, listen, I know you love me. What I want to know is, are you in love with me? God wants us to walk in in love, first love relationship with him. And then today we're going to talk about purpose, finding our mission and making sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. And what's interesting is they all build together. Prayer becomes the foundation of power. Passion fuels our prayer life and our, our Christ. Uh, and purpose, it's interesting, it's not an add-on. Purpose really becomes that which sets our tone. And so we want to go on that journey today. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Starbucks. Some people like Starbucks, some people don't like Starbucks, and they don't like all the politics around it. But I happen to like a cup of Starbucks, and I've kind of become a little bit of a coffee snob as I my son got me addicted to that stuff. But it's it's interesting, I did a study a number of years ago on Howard Schultz, who was the CEO of Starbucks. He actually bought the company uh, from the original founders, I think it was 1987. Uh, there were about 40 stores at that time. And, and then from that moment, really took them on this mission to become really a worldwide sensation. Um, from 2000, or from 1987 to 2000, he was the CEO and then he stepped out and then he stepped back in as CEO in 2008 until 2017 because what had happened and what he noticed is that when he stepped out, Starbucks began to get into all kinds of other different things and they'd kind of lost their way. What's interesting and what I didn't know, and I didn't, I, I, the Lord brought this to my attention about a month and a half to, um, ago, right when I was first writing this series idea, and I thought, I need to go back and figure out what's going on there. What's interesting is that in April of this year, Howard Schultz, 69 years old, stepped back in as the CEO again. And it's not because he was bored. It's not because he was power hungry. It's not because his pension ran out. I'm sure he has enough money. The, the reason that he stepped back in is that it feels like every time he steps out, they lose their way. They lose their direction. They lose their purpose and they get off track. Now, again, no matter what you think about them, Howard Schultz has been an effective CEO, and it's not because he's the only guy who could lead them. It's just that right now, he is the only one who seems to understand what their purpose, what their mission was. In fact, it's interesting some of the things he said regarding that. Well, what's interesting is that in the Christian life, we're supposed to be people of purpose, Paul talks about over and over again how he is staying on mission. He's staying on purpose. In fact, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he keeps reminding Timothy of that. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love and endurance. And staying on purpose for Paul meant that he was committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, what's interesting, a little side note, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the church of Corinth was getting all argumentative and they were kind of getting into divisions in the church and they were kind of taking an air of superiority based on who, who baptized them. And some of them said, well, I was baptized by Peter and some said, well, I was baptized by Apollos and some said, well, I was baptized by, by Paul. And Paul says this, it's fascinating, chapter 1 verse about 15. He says, you guys are all arguing about who baptized you. He says, I am so glad that I didn't baptize hardly anybody. He says, I baptized Gaius and this other guy. But other than that, I, I think there was maybe the household of Stephanus. But he says, but other than that, I don't know if I baptized anybody. 
Because I wasn't called to baptize. I was called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of transformation for those who believe. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul knew his purpose. He knew his mission and it kept him like laser focused on mission. Then he reminds Timothy of that in 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. He keeps calling Timothy back to his purpose. He says, hey, Timothy, remember your purpose. Remember what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be overseeing the church of Ephesus. You're supposed to be preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God, rebuking those who are outside of the line. He knew exactly. He just kept saying, Timothy, get back to your purpose. Don't get sidetracked with all this other stuff. And the reason for it was the New Testament church was starting to get off track. And he says in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, a number of times, he says some people are wandering from their faith and the reason they're wandering from their faith is because they're getting sidetracked by silly arguments, meaningless genealogies and myths. He says they're, a, they're shipwrecking their faith. He says you gotta get them back on target. It is super important, Paul says, that we live life on mission, that we know why we're doing what we're doing, and that we stay committed to it. So if you get into 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's interesting, when you look at this scripture from that lens, Paul begins to give some really helpful techniques and even secrets to how to stay on mission. Look what he says, chapter 4, verse 1, 1 Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith by following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. For everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. By the way, side note, that's why I always give thanks before I eat Boston cream donuts. <laughs> because God says it's okay if I say thanks. No, that's not... That's, a, that, that's how you get into trouble, by the way, if you proof text, right? Because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out, Timothy, to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Brought up in the truths of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set a, an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through the prophetic message when, uh, when the body of elders laid hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Notice he doesn't say everyone will see your perfection. We're progressing. We're progressing. He said, they want to see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, now understand, Paul is writing to Timothy. 
I would say by extension, he is writing to young leaders how to give oversight to the church. So you may be saying to yourself, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an apostle. I'm, what, what is he trying to say to me? Well, the same goals and, and challenges that Paul gives to Timothy can be applied in so many areas in our own life. For example, to stay on purpose, to stay on mission, number one, I need to know what my mission is. Or as Michael Jr., the comedian says, I need to know what my why is. You gotta know your why. You got to know why you are who you are. Who is God calling you to be? What does God want to do with my life? Notice what he says in this passage, verse 15 to 16. It's kind of the wrap up. He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone will see your progress. Now imagine your life and God were speaking to you. Be diligent and what God's purpose in your life is. Give yourself wholly to them. Stay focused. Keep on progressing in the call that God has placed on your life. Now you might be saying, well, pastor, I've always struggled with that. What does God want from my life? Well, let's have a little talk. First of all, without even praying, but simply because I know the word of God, I know that for everyone here, frankly, whether you're a believer or not a believer, God's number one purpose in your life is to bring glory to him, just to glorify God. That is God's design for all of humanity, and so I can tell you that is the general purpose for every person who lives to bring glory to God. Now, if you're here and you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you've committed your heart to him, I can tell you something else about your purpose. Romans chapter eight, verse, what is it, 27, 28, he says, to those who God has called according to his purpose, that you may be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So I know without a doubt I don't have to, I'm not, I'm not trying to be facetious about prayer. I'm just saying God has clearly said that his desire for everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That means in your character, in your conduct, in your heartbeat, in your passion, he wants to have you look like his son, Jesus Christ. If you're part of the church, if you are a follower of Christ, I also know that Jesus has said that you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter one, verse eight, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and outer Samaria. Well, you don't know where those are at. Let's put it this way. You will be my witnesses in your family, in your friendships, and in your workplace and extended community. Does that make a little more sense? Because that's kind of what he's saying is, I have a desire that you are gonna be filled with the Spirit of God. You will have power. He doesn't say you might have power. He says you're going to, this is the ordinary, this is the normal Christian life. He says you are gonna have power and you are gonna be witnesses of something. That's your why. Now we can get even to more specific, like maybe God is saying, I want you to be a teacher. Maybe I want you to be a pastor. Maybe I want you to be a worship pastor. Maybe I want you to be a financial advisor. Whatever it is, that gets even more specific. But when you know your purpose, I wrote this down because I knew we'd be kind of flying hard and fast at this thing. But when you know your purpose, it helps you know what you're supposed to do. And it also helps you avoid the things that you should not be doing even if they're good. Let me give you an example. 
Every one of you this morning, I am hiring you as a teacher, okay? And I am going to give you a job description. I want you to, uh, I want you to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. You are to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Say that with me. What are, what are the three things you're being told to do? You're going to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Pretty simple. Chad, I'm looking right at you right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to teach? You got it. You're there. You know exactly. So, if your job is to teach reading, writing, arithmetic, this is not to be a trick question. This is not making a statement about schools and all that kind of stuff today. If your job is to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, which they always call it the three R's, so you got to go back and teach spelling, I guess. But, but <laughs> are you going to teach economics? Collectively, ready? No, no. There's nothing wrong with economics. Well, you know, I could teach math through. No, no, you're making it too complicated. It's reading, writing, arithmetic. You're, you're not going to teach Economics. Why? Because my job is to treat is to teach reading, writing, arithmetic. Even though economics is fascinating, was one of my favorite classes in micro macroeconomics. I love that class. That's not what I'm supposed to do. Are you going to teach the socioeconomic impact of Hurricane uh, Ian on the greater cosmos of the world and world economy? Probably not. Why? Because my job is to teach reading, writing, arithmetic. It isn't any harder than that. He says, I want you to know why you are doing what you're doing. I want you to know your purpose. It will help you discover what to do, what not to do, and even how to evaluate how you're doing. By the way, if the impact of my life is to be conformed into the image of Christ and to be witnesses into my family, my friendships, and my career place, real simple to evaluate. How you doing? And I can take corrective course. Got to know your why. Number two, it's helpful, Paul says, if you surround yourself with people of passion and prayer or passion and purpose. Now, he doesn't say it exactly that way. What he really says is be really careful who you listen to. Notice what he says. He says that in those latter days, there are going to be people who go astray because they follow all these crazy teachings. And then he says, because they are taught by individuals whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. In other words, what's happened is you're, you've surrounded yourself with individuals who are dousing the purpose that God has called you to in life. I, I call it, I don't think I originated this. I've shared it with you many times before. It's called the hot poker theory. Hot poker is not a good hand in five card draw or stud or whatever it is. It, the hot poker theory is very simple. If you have a fire in a fireplace and you take a stir stick and you put it, uh, the, one of those little irons, and you put it next to the fire, what's gonna happen to that poker? Anybody know? It's gonna get hot. Yeah, if you take a, a poker and you put it close to the fire, the poker's gonna get hot. If you take the poker and you move it away from the fire, what's gonna happen to the poker? It's gonna cool down. Hot poker theory. If you wanna be passionate for the Lord, it is really helpful to be close to people of passion. 
If you want to go deeper in your prayer life, it is really helpful to have people in your life who not only believe in prayer, but that are passionate in prayer. If you are, want to be an individual who lives life on purpose, then it is really helpful to have people in your life who help you fulfill that purpose. He says, be really careful who you're allowing to have the influence in your life. It doesn't mean you're not going to have other people in your life, but he says, surround yourself and listen to the right people speaking into your life. Stay on purpose, stay on mission. One of the things I love about praying with all those guys and gals on Thursday mornings up in the city building is that every time I go up there, whether I feel like being there or don't feel like being there, is that I am with people who have a a desire to see the presence of God, a passion for what they're doing. And it just kinda, it kinda stokes my fire. And so my question is, in other people's lives, are you a fireplace or are you an ice cube? Do you have people in your life that are keeping that fire alive? I guarantee it'll help you. Number three. The third way we stay on mission, stay on purpose, is to avoid useless distractions. Notice what he says. He says, um, have nothing to do, verse seven, with godless myths, old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. Now here's interesting. This is not the first time Paul said this. All through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul is saying stay away from these things that are distracting you from what's really important. And by the way, side note, doesn't mean they're not good and it doesn't mean they're not fun. It just isn't helping you stay on purpose. I don't know, I, you probably don't know this about me, but um, you may have heard, I, I enjoy hunting. And uh, I really enjoy anything around hunting. While I'm not hunting, I like old collectible firearms. And, and because I'm into those, I got into collecting little, little uh, gun oil cans. And then because I did that, I got into a little, it's a disease. It really is. It just keeps going. But I like little old ammo boxes. I just get so geeked out when I find those things. And, um, and uh, yesterday, uh, was a state holiday. I don't know if you knew, but opening day of bow season. I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, yeah. All of you who didn't know that, those who do know that are actually out bow hunting this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I checked myself when I was working on this message. Are you more excited about all that little stuff than you are about what your main thing should be? Nothing wrong with that other stuff. But is it distracting you? Am I more passionate? Are you more passionate about politics than you are about a move of God? I'm intrigued by politics. I, but, but boy, I'll tell you what, I find sometimes believers are more passionate and get more committed to that than they do necessarily what God wants to do in purpose in people's lives. So ask yourself, are you distracted from what God's calling you to? 
Remember, all of us that are here that are believers, I know at the very minimum, he wants us to look like Christ and to be a witness into the lives of others. And there's even more specific than that. I know that. Number four, train appropriately. If I'm going to be doing this, I probably ought to train myself. Notice what he says. I love personally the King James Version. By the way, I put the wrong verse. It's, it's verse 8. I put the right words in there. I just put the wrong verse number. But it, it's, it, uh, the King James Version says it this way. For bodily training is of little value. That's my life verse, by the way. Um, <laughs> he says, for physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So um, I would love to, uh, okay, so here's the deal. If I get on a scale and I see my weight, that doesn't mean I'm healthy. It's really good to see where you are, but in order to be where you wanna be, you're gonna have to take some steps to get to health. So let me ask this question. What are you doing and what have you brought into your life that is helping you to go deeper in the purposes that God is calling you to? If, if you know God is calling you into a specific area, maybe God is calling you into teaching or God is calling you into um, uh, an athletic ministry or God is calling, then what are you doing and where are you training and where are you bettering yourself to begin to fulfill that mission that God is calling you to? And if it's only the one where it is to be conformed into the image of Christ. What are you doing and what are you placing in your life to help you be conformed into the image of Christ in your character and in your witness into the people in your life? Number five. He says, he says not only do you do that, step into your calling. Step out. Don't just talk about it, do it. Start exercising it. Start moving in that direction. I love this. Notice what he says in this passage. And I I share this all the time with young leaders. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I was for the longest time, I was the youngest pastor in the room. I'm not anymore. In fact, I can't tell you how many women have told me that I am the same age or younger than their kids. I have heard that so many times in my career. Do you know I have children that are older than you? You're the same age as my children. And what I lovingly have started to tell people is, you do know the older you get, the more people you can say that to. But one of the things I share often, because I was really young when I became a pastor. I, I was too young. I, I would just tell you, I didn't know any better and my church shouldn't have probably hired me. I was 21. Can you believe that? Oh my goodness. I was 23 when I came out of college and started. But one of the things that I tell young leaders all the time is this, is that people, they'll forget about your age. What they won't overlook is your immaturity. And if you're here today and you're a younger person, you're waiting for somebody to take you serious, you know what I've found? Just do it. 
Quit, quit allowing others to determine you stepping into what God, just start doing it. And notice what he says, by your life of purity, by your, your love and faith, he says, just do it. Well, you know what? When you begin to just do things and you own it and you step into it, people soon forget about the age and they, they pay way more attention to the authority in which you're walking in. There is a lot of truth in that because some of us have been believers for years and years and yet we're still kind of waiting for that time. Paul says, no, no, step into what you already have. And then number six, he says, use what you already have. Start using your gifts. Start using the talents that God has given you. Start exercising them. We talked last week about finding your spiritual gift, your shape, your ministry. Your shape is your spiritual gift, your heart, passion, your abilities, your personality, your life experience. But as you begin to use your giftings that have been given to you by the Holy Spirit, Spirit as you do so to build up the body of Christ. By the way, it doesn't have to be colonial woods. If it's better exercised at rock or wherever it is, wherever it is, start using your gifts. And as you do that, it is amazing how the Holy Spirit affirms that right back into your life. And he helps you grow into a greater understanding of your purpose and your passion. We may not think this is a big deal. Ah, this is kind of a tag on. No, 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 no. Everything, everything, everything is connected to purpose. Because when I understand who God has made me to be, who God wants me to be, as God is calling me to be, it refines my prayer life, it invigorates my passion, and I begin to walk in authority and power. They're all connected to each other. What is your why? And are you walking toward your why? Now, out on our front area, when you walk into the church, there's a, a statement of purpose. You see it on all kinds of things that the purpose of Colonial Woods is to develop fully committed disciples of Christ through, do you know it? Change lives. We just say change lives. And it's built on this concept of First and foremost, God has called us as a church to fulfill his great commission. Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'll always be with you What as you're doing what I've called you to do. And God has called us as a church, everything we do to be about changed lives. Change lives, change lives. God uses lives that are changed to change lives. We've been showing the baptism videos and I've been so encouraged by that because every time I hear one of those testimonies, I'm looking at that and saying, there it is, that's a changed life. God's gonna use that changed life to impact and change lives. And Howard Schultz said these words and I, I'm haunted by them but I'm challenged by him. Here's what he said. He said, care more than others think wise. Dream more than others think practical. Expect more than others think possible. Risk more than others think safe. And what challenges me is that guy's that passionate about a cup of coffee.
Am I that passionate about my family's souls? Am I that passionate about my neighborhood? Am I that passionate about my community? Every person in this world has an eternal soul. And Scripture says every person eternally will live somewhere. And Jesus said it, I didn't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which means if Scripture is true, and I believe it is, and if Jesus is real, and I believe He is, and if Jesus is who He says He is, and I believe He is, Jesus says there's only one way that your eternal soul is going to be able to spend eternity with the Father, and He says it's through me. And if that's the case, how much more passionate how much more focused, how much more on mission should I be, should our church be, should all of us be. So Father, we have been um, asking the question that really began in a time of prayer with you What's missing? And I'm not looking at everybody around me and I'm not, I'm not asking, at least for the sake of this moment, our church, it's just simply, Lord, to me. Holy Spirit, what is it, not that you're accusing me of, this is not an accusation, it's an invitation. What is it that you want to awaken in me? What is it you want to do in me? What is it that you're calling me to? What is it that I need to begin to pay more attention is to fulfill the purposes that you've called me to? And then give me the boldness and give me the courage to do it. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.